random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson is at his house. This week we are on the road to New York Comic Con and on that road to New York Comic Con we've been able to go to various conventions throughout the year. For me, New York Comic Con is the culmination of my convention year although every once in a while we'll have like something like Big Apple Con where there's a surprise show that it's not really a surprise if I know it's happening but you know what I mean I'm a dumbass anyway on the road to New York Comic Con we go to a lot of different shows and one of those shows is one of merit in my opinion because it is one of the most insanely stacked shows that you may or may not have heard of and I love the fact that Terrificon in lovely Uncasville, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun Casino run by Mitch Halleck is one of those shows that you have to go to. I lovingly say it like this to Mitch and you know it's the truth. It's New York Comic Con but smaller and so much less intense and when I say that I mean I can go there, get top-name guests, guests that actually matter, actually still have gigs going on in the realm of comics and are prevalent, and you can actually get to see them. You know, I don't want to be able to see the uh, comic book equivalent of Virgil at a show. If you're a wrestling fan, you get that reference. But I like the fact I can see these guys that are top names in the industry, as well as fantastic journeymen who know what they're doing and put out phenomenal content. So it's really cool to be able to go to these shows and experience, you know, A-list names for a price that is incredibly easy on the wallet. And again, it's one of these shows in the tri-state area where, you know, it's, I don't know if Connecticut's really the tri-state area, but you know what I mean. It's in the Northeast. And I, Peter Melling, geography enthusiast. But I love the fact that this show manages to pull off so much great stuff. And, again, it's such an easy show to be able to experience and a great show to experience. For example, you know, at the show, I got to meet Jonathan Frakes, legendary Star Trek actor from Star Trek TNG. I got to be able to see James Gunn's brother, Sean Gunn, who plays Kraglin in the Guardians of the Galaxy, who will also be at New York Comic Con 2023. But I wanted to see him at this show because, hey... I can actually meet him and actually have a conversation. It's kind of hard when you go to New York Comic Con and that's somebody's only show throughout the year and they are intent on seeing everything, talking to everyone, and doing their thing. And you can only really do it sometimes. Like If you're not lucky enough, you may only be there for a day or a day and a half, you know, and you got to go take your train to go back home or your plane to go back home. So... That's where New York Comic Con can be a little bit of a daunting experience, you know? And I was very fortunate at Terrificon this year, back in August, to be able to 
again, talk with talent in the realm of comics. Reunite with friends that I haven't seen in forever. And, you know, that's one of the things. If you listen to earlier episodes of the show where I talk about the convention circuit, it is the nerdy family reunion. And that's, by the way, you know, with New York Comic Con coming up, there's going to be a lot of faces I haven't seen in a long time. And it's kind of cool. Like, I get to see, you know, my buddy Eric Larson from uh, Image Comics and Marvel and get to see people like him and just, you know, sit down, shoot the shit with them and have a good time. And I love the fact, though, that with a show like Terrificon, I can literally see somebody within, you know, a matter of seconds and just talk with them and, you know, BS. You know, friend of the show, AEW wrestler Danhausen, I saw him about 15,000 times during that show, and I totally may have not seen him, you know, without his face paint as he went up the escalator after hours after a show. And, you know, we both looked at each other, and I proceeded to say I didn't see anything. But again, I may have seen him. We don't know. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But being able to go to these shows and talk with the talent, you know, being able to sit and BS with AEW slash Ring of Honor's superstar Ethan Page, all ego Ethan Page, and again, literally talking with him for almost 10 minutes and just having a good time, you know? Being able to go to this show and actually see someone I haven't seen since 2020, Josh Adams, son of the late, great Neil Adams. You know, we were just sitting talking, and I even got to introduce him to Danhausen because at New York Comic Con this year, they're going to be releasing a uh, Bill Morrison, who, by the way, was a guest at Terrificon 2023, a Bill Morrison variant cover of Batman 251, the uh, facsimile edition, which is an iconic issue in the realm of Batman, but it's a special cover where it's got the lovable, affable, very nice, very evil Danhausen basically getting Batman stuck to a playing card. And again, got to introduce, you know, Neil's uh, offspring to the guy who has, or sorry, the demon who has artwork with him on it in that style. So it's pretty cool. But, again, one of the things I love about Terrificon in Connecticut is the fact that when you go to this show, you have an opportunity to sit and talk with these people. And sit and talk with these people is what I did at Terrificon. I got to sit down with three of my favorite comic creators, one of which is my absolute hero, Garth Ennis. Got to sit with Ron Friends, Louise Simonson, and, of course, Garth Ennis, like I said. And it was such a good time. And being able, again to get this opportunity to talk with them. I'm eternally grateful to Mitch Halleck of Terrificon for being able to do this, and I'm sure Mitch would have a wise-ass response to that if he was on the show today, but you can, you know, give them a follow on social media. Look them up, T-E-R-R-I-F-I-C-O-N, Terrificon, Connecticut's only Terrificomicon. And I think that's going to basically put a little bow on this opening. We're going to go over into the actual interviews themselves. We start off with Ron Friends, then we go into Louis Simonson, and finally, the main man himself, my hero and yours, Garth Ennis. So this is day three of Terrificon over in lovely Uncasville, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun Casino, and I'm joined right now with Ron Friends. Ron is responsible for oh so much in the realm of Spider hyphen people. There's Spider Man, there's Spider Girl, there's Spider Spider uh, Blue Captain America shirt, just Spider everything. You know, I'm describing what he's wearing now too. He's wearing a Terrificon lanyard. He has a nice little bracelet. And what, what's on the bracelet, by the way? It's uh, for a young child that uh, uh, was tragically killed years and years ago 
and it was given to me by a family member of theirs, and uh, I wear it to this day because they deserve to be remembered. That is wonderful to hear. That is yeah. very nice. Now, Ron, over the years, Spider-people have been everywhere. we got so much going on with the movies. we got so much going on with the television. we got so much with the comical books, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's fun to see because there's so much content. And you're responsible for Oh So Much, too. What is it like seeing you know a lot of your stuff make it to the big screen? And also, even in the physical form of cosplayers, too. Well, the cosplayers are always wonderful to see. I, um, I have to be—I have to be honest. I'm a little—I'm a little jealous that Spider Gwen supplanted Mayday a little bit in the whole thing. Um, and and you know, it's, it, what's also true is that during the run of Spider Girl, Joe Casada was was a big supporter of the title, but he and and like voices. We're always trying to convince DeFalco and I to bring Mayday into the 616 and yeah. kind of an X-Men kind of thing, you know. And um, we really weren't interested because legacy and family was such a huge part of the book and the dynamic of the characters that we felt if you move us, if you take a 16-year-old Mayday and flop her in the middle of 616, then what? Yeah. You know, but you've lost that legacy thing, you know. Even if she has awkward interactions with her young dad, it's not the same, you know, that kind of thing. It, 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 we, we kept seeing it as kind of repeating the whole Rachel Summers thing in the X-Men and stuff when they brought her from the future, you know, yeah. and, uh, or, or Cable, you know, that kind of thing. And, we, and it just became something, it became a dynamic we really weren't all that interested in exploring. So we fought to keep her where she was with the family and to keep Pete and Mary Jane as a very active supporting cast. So uh, so I understand that when a character can interact fully with the 616 and everything, that you're gonna get more exposure, you're gonna you're gonna see that kind of breakout popularity. But you know, we have nothing to apologize for. Spider-Girl is still a very popular character and held very much in the hearts of the people that enjoyed the book. Uh, I'm always flattered and humbled by the, all the podcasts that keep the character in the conversation. I believe Spider-Man Crawl Space is one of them, too. Crawl Space is one of them, uh, and, and what Zach and Kelly are doing with uh, 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 Mayday. What is it? That I don't know. Oh, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Well, check, check her, the check current her title, out. Make Mine Mayday. Yes. And, uh, you know, they've been terrific in, in keeping the, the conversation alive with the character. And I still, I mean, to this day, it's wonderful to, I, when I do conventions like this, I'm still hearing people talk about Mayday being their favorite character, about Eric Masterson being their favorite character, about, you Yeah, know, real quick, with Eric Masterson, was he in the main Amazing Spider-Man? Because I know that no, name. No, no, he was, uh, he, he was Thor's stand-in for, for a few years and then became Thunderstrike, yeah. And it was, you know, people remember their favorite title, whether it lasted 12 issues or, or, or 24 issues or seven years I mean they they remember their favorite character and still uh, wish there was more stories being told about that character so it's it's always amazing to know that people enjoyed the work and remember the work and that's what's keeping me solvent right now is that people remember the work now you used amazing as a descriptor on purpose right <laughs> yeah I mean you can go with spectacular you know you yeah, can go with yeah. web of sensational even. Uh, you know, marble team up you know whatever yeah, you can yeah, do exactly you missed Web Up. That was a good one, too. 
but it's fun because like there's so much stuff with the Spider-Man mythos. Like myself, you know, I say it nonstop on the show, and it's gonna be nonstop again with this. Going through reading all this stuff, like I read it when uh, No Way Home came out. I'm like, you know what? I want to read everything. Like I missed out on some of your stuff because you were doing spectacular as well, correct? At one point, no, you were not. No, I, I did one of the first Spider-Man jobs I did was for Spectacular. It's just a fill-in, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to, to, to get a berth on Amazing, but uh, I mean, Spider-Man is Spider-Man. So uh, you know, we we did uh, when Mayday moved into the uh, anthologies, we were you know very much included with the rest of the spider family and everything. So. Is it crazy to see, though, how rabid the Spider-Man fandom is all these years later? Sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and we also, with the expanded media, a lot of people don't even, you know, they know Spider-Man and are passionate about Spider-Man and have never read a comic book. So uh, he's, his place in pop culture is, is, is much higher visibility than it ever was, but it's not necessarily about us in comics you know it's about it's about uh, the other media and it's fun too because like you'll see like certain creators involved with Spider-Man you're one of them for me one of my personal favorites especially with the 1980s era you know you're responsible partially for Bombastic Bagman alongside I believe it was Tom DeFalco right Tom and I came up with Bombastic Bagman actually at the time it was so long ago that at the time it was based on a, a comedian who would appear on the gong show with a bag on his head called The Unknown Comic. And we were looking for a way for Johnny Storm to embarrass Pete. And uh, so we, that's why originally he was called The Unknown Superhero. And his own, why he was, I, I think the only reason he's been revived in video games and action figures and everything is because, as you were saying, every iteration of Spider-Man now has some kind of fan following. And there, there is so much need for product and expanding the product that every minor iteration of Spider-Man in his costume or now an action figure or a character, a playable character in a video game or something. You know. And it's funny because when we had you a couple of years ago, we were talking about the whole bombastic Bagman thing. And I would imagine, you know, since the return of uh, conventions, especially in the, you know, these uh, COVID times and whatnot, it must be interesting to see people walking up and... You can kind of do a bombastic Bagman cosplay just a little bit. It is very COVID safe. No, so. it, yeah, it's the first few times I saw pictures on the internet of people cosplaying as Bagman. I, uh, it was a, a terrific little thrill and a laugh. You know, it's, it was wonderful. It's low cost but fun. Yeah, you know, let's and, be and real. I have the bobblehead uh, of uh, the, Funko. the Funko bobblehead of Bagman, and uh, it's yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. The People are so hungry for all the all the iterations that there's a Spider Girl Funko, there's a, uh, a, a Mayhem Funko. April. May, who's Mayhem? Uh, she was April's clone, uh, Mayday's clone. April. Oh God, you when guys we, had clones too. We did our own version. <laughs> See, you're letting it slip that you weren't reading Spider Girl. Unfortunately, I have not. I will they, openly admit that, and it is one of my little blind spots that I want to take care of. That's terrible. It's, I've heard nothing but good things about it. That's terribly why. disappointed. In the interest of fairness, I haven't read 2099, and I was going to plop it in on my reading, and I'm like, eventually I'll get him in there too. Kelly and Zach are going to be very disappointed in you, sir. Probably yes, but go. it's it's funny too because like again, there's so much, there's so much to read, and honestly, that's what I love. Like I'll hear you know fanboys online go like, oh, I'm finally done reading this. It's like, man, 
I can't believe you're going to miss out. Although you could, you know, go back in time and read all the other things you missed in the meantime. Maybe right. you'll find a new favorite, you know? Oh, I go into a comic shop now, and I'm ridiculously intimidated by that big wall oh of God. color. I, If I wanted to get back into the Avengers, I wouldn't know where to start. You know, it's crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. But it's, you know, it's, and it's funny because even Spider-Man has, like, how many titles? Like, now, you know? How many you know creative teams are involved and it's like once you get the spider-man rub that's kind of like you're set for life in a lot of ways pretty much that'll that'll keep you busy in your spare time uh however however much spare time you have that'll keep you busy absolutely yeah. and like you know it's funny because like i once was supposed to get a commission from uh rick leonardi and you know i wanted to get spider-man 2099 then i'm like you know what no I want him to work for this. I want him to do for me a regular Spider-Man because the webs, as someone who's trying to learn how to draw, the webs are a pain. So for me, at least. It, actually, there's a code. To, there's a code to break, and once you break the code, it's not that hard. It's we're really gonna hard. we're gonna talk about that off mic because I want <laughs> I want to keep that secret for me and you only. No, it, it's really not as complicated as it seems. I do know the one element for the uh, webbing that I got was through Jim Salakrup, and he taught me with the whole little, you do the sad face for the p bottom part of it, and then you go up and all the way. So I was like, oh, okay, I get that. I can see that. And it works. Yeah. No, it's, it, and Ditko and Ramita had different approaches. In fact, they had almost opposite approaches. So, you know, there's little tricks and secrets and things that you can change. Um, I, I, being a Ditko <coughs> fan... I will occasionally do little, little Ditko ticks, like the the webbing going a different direction on one arm and then the other arm and everything. And Sal Basema, being a Ramita traditionalist, would always fix it. <laughs> I'm gonna look like into that, that on your stuff now. Now I got to revisit your stuff again. I like that. Yeah, occasionally. I mean, some people were noticing. I, I ran some pencils and Sal's inks from a. Uh, uh, a sequence we did that flashed back to the origin, so I went very Ditko with it and played with the webbing a little bit, and Sal fixed it. I'm making air quotes around it. Sal fixed it on every shot, and it, it is what it is. You know, I mean, people have different approaches, and his is every bit as legitimate as mine, you know. Now, in regards to a lot of just, you know, the uh, with all the different quote-unquote variants, because, you know, once they say something in the movies, it kind of just sticks for everybody else now at this point, all the variants of the characters. You've been asked over the years to do so many different versions of the character. What is one of the most unique versions, like a, a twist on Spider-Man that has you've been asked of, that you're just blown away from right from the get-go? Well, one was one that never happened, and I'm glad it never happened, was that when uh, Jim Ousley took over as editor of Spider-Man, it was shortly after the black costumes, the, the first black costume stuff. And he was of the opinion that we needed to give Spider-Man a new costume pretty much every year, year and a half. Like a car? To, to, keep, to keep the readership happy. So I was tasked, towards the end of my run on Spider-Man, I was tasked to come up with a, a new, new costume which I found very hard to take seriously. Yeah. Um, but I did do a couple of serious passes and then a couple of comedic passes. And what he ended up uh, putting his initials on as approval was basically the black costume, but it's, instead of blue highlights, it was red highlights, white spider, and it had underarm webbing. I feel like, did you ever release the pictures of I that? I posted it on Facebook, yeah. Because I remember seeing that yeah. on your page. Yeah. And... And 
what was surprising because the whole reason I posted it was to say, boy, we really dodged a bullet on this, right? But in all the ensuing years since the 80s, Spidey has had so many variant costumes and armors and stealth suits and all that kind of stuff that the the thread just became about, boy, that really would have been cool. That, yeah. You know, Mr. Ousley was, was ahead of his time and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, that that's not what I meant, <laughs> you know, because... You know, when we were working on the black suit, that was a that was the first time a major character had gone through such a radical redesign, and now it's you know it's very commonplace, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, the the response I got from younger generations than my own was a little surprising to me, given the the tone of the post. You know? Just the red sounds cool. Like I don't know, like there's something special be, about that. Like yeah. it could be like you know. An inverse carnage kind of thing. Well, that's but see, that's the thing. There's so much other material that has come out since yeah. that it can now be compared to that you know it, it isn't as unique as it would have been back then. You know? And are are there any character designs you know from other creators that you've seen that you're just like, wow, that looks cool. I wish I had done that. All the time. I I couldn't come up with a specific one, but yeah, all the time. The the bottom line on Spider-Man, though, is that I honestly, truthfully believe that the original red and blue design by Ditko is one of the best and most unique costume designs ever. And people find, you know, I, I've always meant to ask you, Ron, do you prefer the classic or the or the black costume? Because I'm because I'm connected to the black costume, and there is no question. I never would have changed Spider-Man's costume ever. If you draw it correctly, it is fascinating in all its different... I mean, just look through the original Ditko run and, and see exactly what you're dealing with there. I mean, in, in many ways, I still don't feel it's been adequately translated for the films yet. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. So, well, it's seen, a great design. Have you seen how he looks at the end of uh, No Way Home, that, the yeah. new costume? It's, yeah. I like the metallic look. That. I feel like well, that could work very well. I mean, I'm glad that they're you know, they're constantly well, they're constantly playing with it so they can put out new action figures and and uh, have a different wave of marketing for every movie. But yeah, I mean, it was nice to see a more classic look. But uh, you know, I mean, you know, every it, it's such a subjective industry, and people's love of the character is so subjective. It, I mean, with all the Spider-Man movies they've made, and with as much as I've enjoyed so many of them, they still haven't made the Spider-Man movie I would make if I had an unlimited budget, you know, because that's how subjective it is. It's, I, I've talked about it on Facebook. The, the thing that fascinates me about any character like Spider-Man is people can read the same stories and look at the same visuals over the period of years but if you ask somebody who should play that character, you're going to get a different answer from everybody because there's still a personal projection against that image, into that image, and people see the character so many different ways. It's always fascinating to me to start a conversation like that on Facebook and to find out who other people think would be a terrific Spider-Man. You know, and nobody necessarily agrees with some of my casting. You know, I, I always thought Topher Grace would have made a great Spider-Man, but they were like, "Nah, let's just make him Venom." And it's yeah. like, really? Well, it's because, it, but I think that's precisely because instead of going with Eddie Brock as a a counterpoint to Pete, 
they decided to make Eddie Brock a kind of a dark reflection of Pete. Yeah. So I think Topher Grace was actually hired because oh, yeah. he read like a Peter Parker type guy. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Yeah. So now before we wrap this interview up, I wanted to also bring attention to something that you've been doing lately. You're doing stuff with sitcomics and more people need to know about the unbeatable Blue Baron. Friend of the show, Matt Dunford, he pointed me in the direction and I remember looking at like the lineup, like it's you, Sal Buscema, I believe Tom DeFalco's involved, correct? Yeah. Like all of these all-star talents and it's like, why don't more people know about this? Yeah. Roger Stern, Dave yeah. Michelini is involved now. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of terrific product still waiting to come out. The publisher, Darren Henry, just did a Kickstarter to kind of uh, help defray the cost of the next wave of books. So we're in production now on Blue Baron number four, uh, Heroes Union number two. Uh, uh, Tom DeFalco is writing a book called Headhunter, starting with issue two with uh, Stephen E. Gordon. I mean, so yeah, there's an incredible, uh, uh, Craig Rousseau, Jeff Schultz, there's an incredible raft of talent from, from Archie and from Marvel expatriates and stuff. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of 70s Marvel, uh, I sure am. Hoo-ha action, as Tom DeFalco would put it, uh, and and terrific characters. You know, uh, characters that you wouldn't mind spending a half an hour with. Uh, you owe it to yourself to try. They're available in comic stores now, so you know, ask your local comic dealer to to order shit comics for you, uh, and uh, and see what you at least sample it because you know you you may really find yourself having fun reading a comic book again. Well, what gets me about the Unbeatable Blue Baron, like they are sitting on my stack right now, but like it's an enticing concept, like the binge ability. The binge they call, idea, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And for five dollars to get that much comic in one little handy Absolutely. dandy thing. Yeah, you get the the equivalent of three regular comics for a comparable price. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, the binge concept is something that Darren is very committed to, and. Uh, it seems to be resonating with people. I mean, certainly it's a it's a bargain at that price for the talent that you're getting, and I don't include myself in that. But the fact that well, Roger Stern, the fact that Roger Stern and Dave Michelini are, are uh, you know back writing superhero characters, they're some of the best uh, wordsmiths in the business. They uh, are definitely great word guy talk people. I love yeah. that. <laughs> there you go. One of my, by the way, real quick before we wrap this up, I wanted to say you said with Tom DeFalco hoo-ha action yeah. I heard that in his voice <laughs> I heard that in his voice so yeah 110 yeah. percent hoo-ha action and angst in the mighty Marvel manner is uh, that's time to focus all over yeah so now before we go how can people get a hold of you on social media and also how can people get a hold of uh, sitcomics well sitcomics is uh, has a presence on Facebook and they're also at sitcomics.net uh, you can contact the uh, through both the Facebook and that website. You can contact the publisher, Darren Henry. He's also the editor in chief. Um, and uh, I'm on social media as far as Facebook. That's pretty much it. Uh, and through CatskillComics.com, which is a website that I've been with for like 20 some years now. It was the best professional decision I ever made. That's how I do private commissions and uh, sell what original art I do have through a gentleman named Scott Kress and his uh, organization, CatskillComics.com. There's some phenomenal talent over there, by the way. Like I've been seeing like some of Ramona Ferdon's stuff on there. Yeah. My God. Ramona's terrific. Mike Grell, uh, Pat Olive, Brett Breeding, uh, Glenn Whitmore, the colorist, done all the Superman stuff of the 90s. 
Uh, yeah, he's got an incredible list of talent. So please check that out as well. Ron, thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful con. You're more than welcome. Thank you, sir. All righty. So this is day three yet again, as I said in the Ron Friends interview. We are joined right now, though, with Louise Simonson. Wheezy, can I call you Wheezy? Sure, absolutely. Wheezy, how are you today? I'm tired. I am a two-day con person. By the third day, I'm dragging my feet. Now but, you know, other than that, is I'm this, great. Was this your first time doing Terrificon? No, we did one, oh gosh, maybe eight or nine years ago. Right. And it was fun then. Let me let me ask, like, when you did those years, was any of the Saturdays as crazy as yesterday was? I think yesterday was probably the craziest. I've seen it here, but then I've only been to, like, one or two others, I think. It's definitely well-deserved for the, the showrunner, Mitch Halleck, because, like, good Lord, like, so many people. It was nice to see. It's a nice change of pace. Yeah, the line, we kept capping the line, and the, the cap seemed to dissolve, and we got more and more and more people. I mean, it was crazy. Absolutely. And, again, you know, it shows the impact of the work that you guys have done. And, you know, yourself working on X Factor, New Mutants, a big staple of the X line. You know, what is it like seeing the impact of those titles all these years later? It's actually amazing. I mean, it has been 45, 40 years, 45 years, something like that. You missed the chance to say exceptional, by the way. <laughs> um, it's... it's um, you know, who would have thought? Uh, I'm doing a Jean Grey miniseries right now that ties into a new X-Men giant crossover piece of craziness. And, um, you know, so much of it seems to harken back to what happened in the olden days. Um, you know, it was... A, we would never have imagined, I don't even think Chris would have imagined, how, mu how influential just the, the work that we did. I, I was on the X, I was on, uh, well, doing Mutants probably for about four years. And, you know, it's, you know, Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor and Apocalypse and Archangel and all that, all that stuff, it still seems to be at least slightly relevant or people are, it's a, it's a foundation that people have built on for the last 40 years. So yeah, we're, we're really lucky and quite and it's, amazed. It's, it's fun to see, though, like that impact of, you know, the 70s, 80s X-Men stuff and how long-lasting it is. Like, you look at, you know, Byrne, like, for a while, he was going up doing his elsewhere, and it's like, there's a demand for, the, you know, the classic hot style of stuff. Like, it's great because with X-Men, you can have so many different iterations. Like, you have the deep philosophical stuff with Grant Morrison. You have, you know, the wordiness and also just the soap opera element of Claremont's run. You have, who else, who else is there? Like, uh... Hickman, you know, with everything that he's doing, and it's insane, but it's, it's, for one style of story, there's something for everyone with everything else, but in regards to, you know, just also Superman, you have a lot of Superman stuff, and you people, you're responsible for killing the little fellow, why'd you do that? It seemed like a good idea at the time. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I met you at Terrificon, I want to say 2015, at the old, uh, part of the venue and it still stands by what I say it's still one of my all-time favorite stories like it's special and holds such a deep important part of my childhood so to see the impact still I love that it's it's interesting that they keep hearkening back to that I mean it's another thing you know but uh, I guess 
comics have always been that way. I mean, you know, Stan and Jack created things that are still being, wow, that, that's still expanding and being added onto. And now, of course, you've got alternate dimensions and alternate timelines. And I mean, there's a lot of room in, in a comic book world for all sorts of expansion. And I wanted to ask you, by the way, going back over to X-Men again, because, you know, we, we can we can time jump and all sure. that stuff. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but one thing about that, you know, you worked in the X office and you had to deal with the continuity and the canon of all that. How hard could that be from time to time to deal with? Well, in the olden days, back when I was an editor and a, and a writer of really regular X, X stuff, um, it wasn't that bad because I had... They were, you know, this stuff was created in the 60s, and I was working in the 80s, so that's 20 years of continuity. I mean, I think that the people now who are trying to write any any continuity that's been around for 60 years, it's really hard to think of something new to do. Oh, yeah. Um, the, stories, the stories these days seem to be much longer. I mean, the, the actual, the comic books, the floppies, are only, only 20 pages these days. But the stories go on for two or three years sometimes. I mean, back in the olden days, if we did a three-issue story, it was a, a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and it, obviously, beyond three issues, if you, people got bored. So, because I we tried that a couple of times just to see what would happen if you did longer stuff, and people did tend to get bored after about three issues. And that happens, but you know, eventually down the line, you know, eventually with these stories, it it can you know lead to some pretty darn oh, yeah. great things. Oh yeah, and honestly, I I don't. It gives the the, the focus right now is is different too. The, the focus really isn't on floppies. It's on. You know, reprints, collections, yeah. a lot of that stuff. That's you're thinking about comics in a very different way than you used to back in the old days. So now, before we wrap this interview up, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about that I love hearing about is you were on the cover of House of Secrets. Oh God, yes, I was. You are on a cover now. <laughs> a when you... drawing of me by Bernie Wrightson was on the cover of okay. House of Secrets. You were I drawn just... by Wrightson. I, well, okay. I just sat there. You know, it's it's kind of it's almost crazy that people ask me to sign it because all I did was sit there with a hairbrush in my hand looking back at the, for the monster. Um, it's I mean, so cool. It, 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 I mean, it's, it's, and who would have known? I mean, I was a kid. It was like in, a, in my early 20s. You know, and you just do things. We were we, we photographed the entire story in which, you know, that that that, that was the cover for. Um, Michael Kaluta, do you know Mike Kaluta? Yes. Okay, he was the villain. If you look, if you, yes, um, if, and uh, Wrightson was the hero. Um, Jeff Jones took the photographs. If you go, I guess, on probably Mike Luda's Facebook page or something, he, Mike has a whole batch of those photos still. That's so cool. Now, one thing that, you know, also with all that, like you just pointed out, I didn't realize Wrightson did the cover. For some reason, that didn't connect with me. Really? Yeah, because like, it's the painted kind of cover. I never really see him as painted. I always see him like the, the nice line. It, it, it was lined, but it was yeah. colored line. Yeah. I mean, um, but... Yeah, it was, Bernie also actually does paintings. He did a lot of paintings. Oh yeah, he did. And, like, and his line work, his 
fine work was really what every, I think everyone remembers him for. I lovingly say this. What is your life that you ended up painted by Wrightson? You're on an iconic cover. Like, that is the coolest thing. You know? My life is, this is going to be on my tombstone. It's going to be, she was, she, she was on a cover drawn by Bernie Wrightson, and the image will be there on the tombstone, and it'll be, and she did a couple of other, other things, too. It's going to, it's going to be. <laughs> well, the coolest thing about it, too, is like. Oh, Rob Bernie is actually, a, he was such a wonderful person, so it was, I mean, it was fun, but we were just kids doing stuff back in the day. But the other thing about it that's so cool is also, it's been homaged so many times, you know? I, I know. Like, so you're partially responsible for something that when you see that it's like you could technically sign those homage covers too. I I I, I oft I do. Really? People bring them up to me and they say, Will you sign this? And I say, Are you sure? I had nothing to do with this. And they say, Oh yes. So of course I sign it. Because it's their comic book. Because <laughs> I know like for example, uh Skaranko, like he signs people's uh, Mr. Miracles because he's technically Mr. Miracle, sure. you know? Right. And it's like there's that element of like First off, like, it's a deep cut for hardcore fans, right. and it's also just like that whole idea of like, again, I'm sorry, I just can't get over it. You were painted by Wrightson. Like, that is friggin' cool. Yeah, I guess so. You know, you honestly, in the world that I'm in, it, it, it doesn't seem extraordinary. Um, it's the way that things are. I mean, I'm surrounded by artists, and artists need models, and they'll grab anybody and say, pose for this. So, <laughs> I was the girl, I was I was around, Bernie said, be the, the hero, heroine, or whatever, and I said, sure. And now you go to see your, you know, your book at comic conventions, going for like five to six hundred to a thousand dollars or more. Is, is that, they actually... Something like that. It, well, it's Swampy, because Swampy's going to be, you know, a, he's going to be a movie film. Oh, again? A, for the third time, it's going to be Excellent. the charm. Well, let's hope it's good this time. God, I hope so. But before we go, Weezy, pleasure meeting with you and talking with you today. Before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media as well as um, I, what's I'm, next? I'm just on Facebook. Um, I don't really have a social media presence much at all. Very smart. I, well, I don't know if it's smart. Maybe more, more like lazy. Also, yeah. also, I look at Twitter and I don't have a clue. I don't see how anybody can follow it. I, and there isn't any Twitter anymore, right? It's something else, X? It sure is. This week, yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. What um, happens? Whatever. And right now I'm doing a, a Jean Grey miniseries for uh, the new X-Men crossover. Has it officially been announced? Yes. Okay. Because I wasn't sure, because you, you know how the mouse can be. It, I, I know. I wouldn't tell you if it hadn't been officially announced. I think the first issue is due out in August. That was my impression. But, I mean, it's just an impression. It's turned in now, so. Very cool. And who's doing the uh, art on it? Do you know? Bernard Chang. No way. And it's gorgeous. It's really, really nice. I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Luis, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. This is, again, day three of Terrificon in lovely Uncasville, Connecticut. And we are joined with a man who's, you know, a returning guest to the Marvelists, but also just one of my all-time favorites. And as a matter of fact, my all-time favorite comic writer, Garth Ennis. And yes, really, this is the truth. As I've said lovingly in the past, you in glowing praise. Creatures. So, Jeff Smith's bones, the comic that made me fall in love with comics. Creature is what ensured it would be a lifelong love. Sounds good. Thank you again for that. Pleasure. And actually, I told you that uh, on the phone, and my service was terrible when we were uh, doing a phone interview. No, oh, yeah. And you just go, I glowed for like a solid minute and it's a change, and you just hear, you go, 
Sorry, I couldn't hear anybody. Oops. Oh well, I got I get the gist. I appreciate it though. But so obviously the boys is the big thing going on right now. Mm. Seeing the impact of the show, seeing the impact of the sales, especially on books. Mm. It is a juggernaut in pop culture. And seeing the show, you know, this is not your first rodeo for something to do really well as it is done. What is it like seeing the impact and the reaction to the boys? Uh, well, as you say, the uh, effect on book sales has been wonderful. I mean, it's it's done so much better than it could ever have had without the input of the show, uh, which is great for me because it means I can take my foot off the gas a little bit and focus on projects uh, that mean a lot more to me. Things like Battle Action, Other War Stories, the new Ribbon Queen series from AWA. I know, uh, I believe uh, you did the string... The string bags, yes, that, that was with uh, PJ Hill. That was what we had you on for, actually, the promoter. Right, right yeah. And I remember, like, stuff like that with you, it's always cool to see because, like, you know, you're known for the controversial kind of stories. However, the war stories are, like, my God. You know, this phenomenal stuff to see how you can do all of that detail and make such a compelling story. Well, that's where my heart lies, really. I, I enjoy writing things like The Boys and Preacher. Um, I always will, you know, and, and I enjoy more serious stuff, horror books like The Ribbon Queen or A Walk Through Hell, but uh, war comics, I think, are my uh, my real passion. Now, you know, one of the books, though, that a lot of people, you know, myself, I'm a big fan of, is Hitman. And Hitman is one of those characters that, you know, we still haven't really seen make the jump to, you know, the big screen or the little screen. Uh, I mean, for the effect it would have on my wallet, sure. Um, but I wonder if a character who makes his way in the world using guns is really going to be all that popular with film and TV makers. Uh, I wonder if, it would re if maybe they would want something more kind of fantasy-based. I do feel it could work alongside this one. It might. It's the same sort of humor. Because James Gunn, no pun intended, you know, he's, you know, a guy with a lot of stuff that can, I feel like there's a lot of heart to, you know, Hitman loves, mm. and I feel like that could work very well, especially in Italy, of course. Yeah, it might well do. Yeah, but now, you know, speaking again of guns, you're going to be working with somebody again over at Marvel, a certain character, a certain uh, vigilante who... Hachi Machi, that character. You know, even in your run, like one of the things was he punched a polar bear in the face. You know, I look at the whole element of Punisher and see everything he's done, every batshit crazy thing he's ever truly done. And, you know, you're going to be getting him to be involved as a zombie now, although this is not his first go around as being undead. Uh, not exactly. I've written a 10 page story for Marvel Zombies. Uh, and Rachel Stott has done incredible artwork on it. Um, Frank is barely in it, as you'll see when the, when the story comes out. But what happened was Tom Brevoort at Marvel uh, got in touch and he, he asked me if I wanted to do a Marvel zombie story. And I didn't even know what that was, but it turned out to be pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, anyway, you'll see when when the story comes out that Frank has a small but important role to play in it. Uh, really, uh, Tom said you can forget all about continuity. You don't have to worry. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything that's happened before in these books. Just tell a story. 
a standalone, yeah. uh, which is why I was able to do it really because that kind of continuity I just find boring. So I was able to write this nice yeah, little standalone story, and uh, Rachel's done a fantastic job. With it. When it comes to uh, you know the ten-page stories and stuff like that, I feel like there is like a lot. It's a much bigger challenge to It's like you have to get everything in in that forward range. Um, it's where I started out, really, in British comics, writing six, eight, ten-page stories, and I'm perfectly comfortable with the form. Um, writing uh, stories for the new Battle Action Revival, which are 10 to 12 to 14 pages. Um, writing for 2000 AD. Uh, I recently completed a Rogue Trooper run for them uh, at six pages an episode. So um, it's really not, not something I've ever had a problem with. Do you feel like more, you know, aspiring writers well, should go for that as the, the entry point for them you know, to do, you know, eight to ten pages? Um, it's a useful muscle to be able to exercise, yeah. So now, in regards to, you know, what is next? You know, what is next? Other than the punishment? Well, let's see. Uh, battle action and the Ribbon Queen are running at the moment. Let's see. Rebellion publishes Battle Action. Uh, AWA Upshot, The Ribbon Queen. Beyond that, can't go into too much detail, but I have a new comedy book with uh, Jason Burroughs, which will start to appear next year. And I'm also working on a new horror story just at the moment. Uh, beyond that, you will see me writing a fairly famous character for Dynamite, but I can't really go into any detail on it just yet. I'm excited to see what is next, because again, you know, for a guy who, you know, doesn't to do a lot of superhero stuff, I'm assuming, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth with that, but you do a damn good job, I will say that. And if it's a kind of superhero that I'm thinking for Dynamite, maybe, it's not. It's, oh, no, never mind. Silver, but, silver, silver. Yep. But in regards to, you know, what could be next, you know, like, I love that, uh, no, no. Yeah. How many times do you get, you know, people like myself talking to Thank you very much. That is a popular one. Um, I w in fact, I was just chatting to the last guy, uh, the last interview I did about that one. Um, I mean, it, it's funny. I sometimes wonder if people miss the miss the point of that one because uh, with rather dark irony, Tommy, of course, finishes his conversation with Superman and then, and then shoots a guy through the head. But, you know, it's an Eisner Award, I'll take it. So now, before we go, Garth, how can people get a hold of you, you know, in theory? I, like, know, I know you're not on social media, and you're a very smart man. I respect it. Yeah. Uh, well, they, they cannot get a hold of me, but if they need to reach me, I suppose they could do it through one of the publishers I work for, uh, who are all pretty good about passing stuff on. Garth, an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Once again, thank you to all three guests for appearing on the show today. Ron Friends, Louis Simonson, and of course, Garth Ennis. And a big, major, major, major thank you to Mitch Halleck of Terrificon, Connecticut's only Terrificomicon, which I believe they are, I don't know the date offhand right now, but of course Terrificon's happening again in 2024. And I believe it's going to be an August show because normally it's a July show. But again, don't quote me. Just Google it, Terrificon, T-E-R-R-I-F-I-C-O-N. Connecticut's only, Terrificomicon. And that will wrap this episode up for today. 
For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. He's always Eddie Wilson. Excelsior, true believe enough said, mustache, mustache. I always do the mustache, mustache, because I don't know if you know this. Stan Lee was known for having a mustache, true believer. Ah.